Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF Relationships with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. I am a relationship and communication coach, and I help folks that want to end old relationship patterns like codependency, people-pleasing, not sharing your needs, not setting boundaries. And I help you end those patterns so that you can create secure, trusting, safe, loving relationships in your life. And I'm talking about making those things happen this year, maybe even next season. Think about that. Think about that. What would that could mean for your life? It's such a game changer. This work is transformative. I love doing it. And I'm so excited that you're here. Today, I'm going to talk to you about perfectionism in dating and relationships. And I am. this is going to be a, like a really personal share. And I'm really excited about that. And I'm always, you know, very nervous about the upcoming vulnerability hangover that I will be having afterwards. But I know I have the tools to help make my body regulate, help my body regulate basically after it's over and this podcast episode is released. (laughs) So before I get into today's episode, I always have my own personal check-in and I just wanted to share with all of you today about how much I am loving being a mom. It took me five years, maybe more to accept the idea that I actually did want to have kids. In my 20s and in most of my 30s, if someone asked me if I wanted to have kids, I was kind of like, maybe? I'm not really sure. And I've heard people say, if you're not sure, then it's a no. If you're not sure, then it's a yes. And you're going to just be like me and you're going to be a mom. (laughs) And I couldn't really relate to either one of those. I was just so focused on, I think because I had such a chaotic upbringing. I had super young parents. There was a lot of abuse in the household. And there just wasn't like a lot of resources. And I mean that in multiple ways. Money, the first one coming up. But then also like time. Like my parents couldn't really go to games or after school activities. We had to get a lot of rides from friends. We did a lot of carpooling. Now, I'm a, as a mom, I'm like, I get it. <laughs> but as a kid, I was just like, I want your time. I want, I want to be picked up. I want, to, I want you to get there on time. <laughs> and so when I think about creating a family and being responsible for the upbringing, kind of like a steward, that's really what I see my role as a parent. I'm stewarding this baby into adulthood as best that I can. And I think I just... It was hard for me to picture because I didn't necessarily have the best examples growing up. I didn't trust myself. And I also was just so concerned. I mean, I do live in a very expensive city in San Francisco, but I was just concerned about resources. Like, how would I provide in a way that I wanted to be able to provide my for my kid? So I'm glad that I waited. I waited a long time. I gave birth last year at 37. And compared to my kid, my parents who were 21 when they had me, that's pretty late. <laughs> For some, that's really early. I just have to say that like, I knew it was going to be fun and I knew I was going to love it, but like, I'm loving it, truly. And I'm also loving the motherhood aspect of it, like the actual 
nourishing a child, taking on that role, that part I'm actually really enjoying. And I thought I was going to really resent it. There are parts of it that I don't love, like washing my pump, (laughs) my pumps every single night with a bottle brush. (laughs) That part's not fun, but it's almost over. It's going to be over at the end of this week. So... I'm kind of in like a like reminiscent mode, I should say, for breastfeeding, <laughs> which is a fun place to be. So anyway, I'm sure there's going to be ups and downs, but I just wanted to share that with all of you because I feel like it took me a really long time to choose this path. And I am so incredibly grateful that I chose this path. Like truly, I feel like my son is just such a gift to me, to this world. It's awesome. Okay, I'm going to leave that there. Thanks for listening. And let's get into this week's episode. So today I'm really excited to talk to you about perfectionism in dating and relationships. And the reason that I really wanted to bring this up, actually, I was really inspired by a recent podcast episode from Big Little Feelings. They have their moms, a wonderful program about how like attachment parenting and really teaching your child to be have emotional literacy, which is all about that. So they have a new podcast. I think it's called After the Kids Go to Bed, something like that. But um, one of the hosts shared deeply about how, how on the rocks her marriage has been ever since she's had a child and how therapy has really helped them. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And to hear her sharing so vulnerably and so deeply for me was so powerful. And so I wanted to do the same here. And so I'm going to share a little bit actually about my own marriage, my own relationship, because I feel like I have had so many ups and downs in this marriage. And, you know, if you look on Instagram, we look amazing, (laughs) but that's not the full picture. I'm not posting the downs on Instagram. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that here and then also share how perfectionism is showing up for me in my approach to my marriage. Then I'm going to talk about how it shows up in dating as well and how to overcome perfectionism. We're just going to, we're going to touch into it. This is a much longer topic, obviously. Perfectionism is huge, multifaceted, but it is a pattern that a lot of insecure attachment types actually come up against. So I think it's really important to share it here. So I just want to start by saying that I'm a recovering fearful avoidant, leaning dismissive avoidant. And both the fearful avoidant and dismissive avoidant insecure attachment types can really take on perfectionism. And they did this as a, it was a strategy to remain safe. So especially for my fearful avoidance that are listening, you know, we we had to create strategies when we were kids because it was such a we grew up in very chaotic households. We didn't couldn't trust our caregivers. And so we oftentimes turn like what I'll speak from my own perspective from here. So in my childhood, I just decided I'm gonna be perfect. I'm not gonna have any t- heightened emotions. I'm not going to be a burden to anyone. And anytime that I wasn't perfect, I didn't read the room correctly. I became too overly emotional. Anytime I did any of that, I would punish myself so that I wouldn't do it again. 
And this is your brain. This is my brain in its finest form. This is what the brain is built to do. It's built to notice and detect danger. And then when there is something happening that is unsafe, it's creating all these different programs of like, okay, noted. When their facial features look like this, that means this. And so you need to act like this. It's just kind of like a math formula, right? So the brain is literally made, built to track these things. But that gets exhausting, right? It's that guilt and shame that comes afterwards after the perfectionism kicks in about you didn't do it right, you should have known better. And then that can lead to a lot of rumination and it's not fun. What I've seen this manifest as, especially for a lot of clients, is like if you go to a social engagement, after you come home, sometimes you're ruminating so much about what just happened at that event that you you like need to be home alone for the rest of the weekend to process what happened when you went out on Friday night. So it leads to just a lot of unnecessary, like an overwrought brain. And there's different strategies we can use to, to really approach ourselves, have compassion for ourselves and be really accepting of ourselves. So that's kind of the overarching thing, but now I want to get into my personal story. So in my marriage... I have been with my husband for almost eight years. This isn't my longest relationship, but it is my most serious relationship. We're married. We have a kid. That's pretty serious. And I would say I've spent, I want to say like maybe 15 to 25% of my time being married to my husband thinking about divorce. And I really want to be honest about that I mean, it's, yeah, it's a percentage, but I want to share that with you because I want you to know that if this is you, if you're in a relationship and you're just like calculating how to get out, whether that's a marriage or whether you're actually just dating, I just want to normalize that this is a human response. This is a totally human response to a situation that you're in. And I want to I just acknowledge that as someone that was running dismissive avoidant, I just felt, especially when we first got married, I felt trapped. And that's because marriage in itself as an institution goes against the core needs of the dismissive avoidant, which is independence, autonomy, and freedom. So the idea of actually being married to someone else just goes against all of those things. And when I was going into it, literally walking into City Hall, I was just like, it's just a piece of paper. People get divorced all the time. If it doesn't feel good, we'll fix it. But in reality, (laughs) it was so much more than a piece of paper. It was, now if I want to just, you know, break free and go on my own, there's paperwork involved. There's lawyers involved. There's, you know, litigators. Like, it's a thing now. And not only that, on my wedding day, I had literally made a promise of, you know, if shit gets hard, we're going to work it out. Well, guess what? With my insecure attachment, (laughs) I went into this marriage. And when things got hard, I didn't know how to work it out at all. And I should also say that my attachment was extremely activated at the beginning of my marriage because we had agreements that we were trying to open up our relationship. This was pre-marriage that were broken. 
And for a fearful avoidant to have trust being broken, to have anything that my partner did that was out of alignment of what he said he was going to do, it was almost like unbearable to me. It was like so hard for me to talk about. It was so hard for me to even fathom. And you know what else I was doing was ruminating on it. (laughs) Just like, I was like, I don't know how to talk about this. And it's the only thing that I can think about, which is so hard, so hard. And I will also say that I didn't have the tools to ask for the specific type of support that I needed. So when I caught myself ruminating on the agreements that were broken and just feeling like, you know, this cheating was like overwhelming to me and it's, it would consume me. What I needed to know in that moment was that my husband loved me and that he was choosing me and that he, you know, accepted me as I was and would support me through it. And so sometimes when I needed to feel that support, all I needed was like a hug or like a hand holding or like a rub on my back. But I didn't know how to ask for those things because it would eke out as this burdeny, like, I need something and I'm so embarrassed and it's too heavy way. I mean, that's literally how it would sound when I said it out of my mouth. So obviously, my attachment style was super, super activated. And when attachment style is activated, the things that you want to pick up, like you just want to start to notice the patterns and what you're saying that you need can show you like, okay, am I acting from a secure place or am I just ricocheting into insecure behavior? And please don't judge yourself for doing this. We all do it. I really want to normalize that. Just like I want to normalize talking about divorce. It's not the end of the world. But It's a totally normal thing to do when you're in a marriage or when you're in like a relationship or if you're just starting to date someone. So I'm going to get into those two two topics just in a little bit. But as the marriage has gone on, the years, the time since the broken agreements and the new habits and the new rituals that we create every single day together our marriage has just blossomed. And ever since having a child, there have been some hard moments, truly hard moments. I'm talking like ugly, I'm embarrassed that I acted that way moments. (laughs) But especially at like 3 a.m. when I didn't know if it was like sunup or sundown because the baby was just, the schedule was all out of whack. There were tough moments. But... What's happened is that I have stopped ruminating on divorce as the only solution. And I've started to accept when fights and disagreements are happening, that that's not the end of the world, that that's actually an entry point into a deeper understanding of each other. And we can both act super ugly during the fight and like giving myself space and not being perfect during the fight (laughs) has actually helped me walk away thinking, okay, there's, you know, that was uncomfortable, but it doesn't necessarily mean the end of the relationship. So I really think that is how perfection shows up in relationships for the dismissive avoidant is when fights erupt, disagreements are happening, maybe an agreement has been broken. The dismissive avoidant is often just like, like, Okay, cut the cord. I'm out. 
I don't owe you anything. You don't owe me anything. Like, let's call it. And I think that there is some beautiful middle ground for the dismissive avoidant to start to recognize like, okay, am I doing black and white thinking? Is there some gray area here? Am I making meaning out of the fact that we're having disagreements or there is a disagreement? Because that's like, that's how you can catch yourself in that perfectionism. It's really hard, but over time, you'll start to do it more and more and more and more and more. So like first step is to just notice, when am I thinking about breakups or divorce? And when you start to think about breakups or divorce, ask yourself, am I thinking of this because this fight was so uncomfortable? Or am I thinking about this because this will actually support us and help us be who we're meant to be in this life? It's tough. It's such a fine line. I don't want you to stay in a relationship that is has run its course. Like relationships sometimes run their course. And oftentimes you can know <laughs> by transforming yourself. And so when you start to get secure attachment and you start to show up in a secure way for them, if they can't handle that and you'll know, then that might not be the right relationship for you. But what I am talking about is a healthy relationship where there is some sort of disagreement, which is a healthy relationship thing, but you're reacting in a way that's like, oh, it's not perfect. It's not peaceful all the time. I just need equanimity. That's not happening. I'm out. It's really tough. Okay, the other thing I want to talk about is perfectionism in dating. So perfectionism in dating can show up even when you're scrolling. So, or even when you're in a place where you're like ready to meet someone, maybe you're in a bar or maybe you're at a, like a speed dating event or a networking event, something like that, where you're around people and you know you could be interested in someone that you're around and you start to just notice, you're like, oh, they did this weird thing. I'm not, I, I don't think that they're the right person for me. Or, oh, they live too far away. Oh, they said this weird thing on their profile and I didn't think that was good. Like if this is how you're looking at your dating profiles, then you might have a little perfectionism making its way into your dating life. And I've actually, it's really interesting. I I have a client who runs Anxious Preoccupied, but as she's healing, she has swung more to the dismissive avoidance side. And that's a totally normal thing for healing your attachment type, especially if you're anxious, that you're all of a sudden you're going to realize, oh, I don't need anyone else. So you kind of swing a little bit more dismissive avoidant where you're like, I'm on my own. I need my freedom and my autonomy. But then you kind of have to go from that dismissive avoidant side into the middle of secure where you're you know, allowing a give take of other relationships in your life. And so even my anxious preoccupied clients can actually have perfectionism in dating because all of a sudden they're like, oh, I don't want to get rejected. So I'm just going to nitpick and nitpick and nitpick these people that are on my apps so that I don't actually ever have to go on a first date. If this is you, I resonate with you so much. You might feel like I'm calling you out. I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's important for me to say this so that you can start to heal and start to show up in your dating life, in your relationships, without perfectionism and in a secure way. So here's the deal about perfectionism. You have to come at it with compassion. That is the best way to heal it. 
And so what that means is when you start to catch yourself either ruminating, guilting yourself, shaming yourself, really like getting down on yourself for the way that you were behaving or shaming other people on the abs, guilt, like kind of picking out things that you think are red flags, really taking and nitpicking apart the people that you're seeing that are showing up, you need to start to have compassion. And I want to just say that you need to have compassion for yourself first. So the first thing that I recommend doing, and this is exactly how I talk to myself, is say, oh, I love you for having this reaction. You have to meet the behavior where it's at. You have to respect, accept, and understand your brain, your little reptilian brain that is just trying to keep you safe in order for it to feel safe enough to start to open up and find a new way to be. So loving up on that part of yourself that's like nitpicking and getting down on you or down on other people, you have to turn to it and say, I love you. And you have to, and this has to be something, you have to choose what it is. I can't pick it for you. But you have to choose something about it that you actually love that's real. I love that you're showing up this way. I know you're trying to keep me safe. I appreciate you. And I also know that this is not the healthiest way to approach the situation. So I am going to put you to the side a little bit. You're this little perfectionism analytical part of my brain. And I'm going to assess other ways to look at the situation that might be a little bit healthier. Do you see how gentle that is? I know it's so hard in the beginning. It's so hard. I've uh, Usually when I'm coaching clients and they first come in, your inner critic can be on fire. It can be an fuego. And so this is start this work is starting to just have compassion for that inner critic in just the smallest way and you're going to start to build on that. So eventually beyond just saying I love you, I understand why you're acting this way, I appreciate your that you're doing X, then you're going to add in eventually I also appreciate how I am handling this situation. So it's not just the brain, but you're recognizing that like also the actions that you're doing are a safe way and you know, an outdated safe way to handle the situation. So that's just step one. That's what that's, I'm going to leave it there for today. Perfectionism is like, it touches a lot of things. It you know, involves shadow work. It involves subconscious reprogramming. There's just a lot of ways to start to get at it. But having compassion for it first, I think is the first step. So thank you for listening. This was such a vulnerable share for me to do today. If you're in it, if you're in that just like, I only have one solution and the solution is breaking up or divorce. I really. I want you to know how hard that is to think about all day long, every single day, and that I have been there. And sometimes my brain still goes back to it. I'm not going to lie. Like it still pops up. But now I'm able to separate a little bit instead of following the thought immediately. So I have hope for you. I hold that torch for your reality very soon. Okay. If you are interested in healing your attachment style, if you want to create relationships that are based on trust, sharing, they're safe, where you can be vulnerable, 
You can set boundaries. You can communicate your needs. I would love to help you start to show up like that. So if you're interested in creating those safe relationships this year, you can book a free discovery call to see if my one-on-one coaching program is the right fit for you. You can visit sarahcohan.com forward slash coaching and book your appointment there. I can't wait to talk to you. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much. 